Hello, I'm Nathan Queso. Welcome to Analog Modern Radio. Today on the podcast, I'm chatting with Ryan Teague of Feather and Finch Photography in Queensland. He's also the host of the podcast Escaping the Ordinary, which is my favorite photography podcast. There's a lot of amazing interviews in there. It's a really great listen if you're a wedding photographer or just passionate about photography. There's lots of business insights, workflow stuff. It's a really great listen, so I recommend getting onto that. So Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Stoked to be here, dude. So you were nice enough to have me on your podcast recently, which was a lot of fun and, and sort of gave me a bit of a push to start this myself, which um, I really appreciate. And something we talked about on there was that you'd been shooting a lot of film and not really getting the results that you were looking for. And we chatted a little bit about how these things work, but I was keen to have another chat and um, just, I guess, debunk a few of the mysteries around film. There's a few things with film that people don't really understand too well, a few like fundamental things that can really improve results but there's not really a much of a forum you know there's nowhere to get that kind of information so I thought it might be kind of useful just to have a chat about that but you're obviously like a really accomplished photographer generally speaking like you've got a really successful wedding business and you're shooting digital and you know all that inside and out do you want to just like tell me a little bit when and why you started doing film yeah so obviously started with digital first right it's kind of the easy easy way in yeah kind of got bored of digital to be honest Nathan um a lot of the people that inspired me were shooting film and seemed to like have this analogy that it was like trying to adopt a more hands-on approach and, and be thoughtful in the way you photograph so I thought hey like this may may test me now like I like being challenged you know you never master photography but I felt like I was super comfortable with the medium and then I was like hey cool let's jump in and rock and roll some film and I had no interest prior to that it was mainly just from photographers that inspired me and then yeah went out and bought a Canon 1V I think it was and loaded up like the first roll of 35 and just I was like tick 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 30 36 photos in three seconds. And I was like, oh, that was shit. Like, I, that didn't really do much for me. And then that was probably, man, like five years ago or something like that now. I realized that I enjoyed the actual mechanics of the cameras. So I spoke to a few friends and like started buying like some old cameras. Like, a, I think my first one was a Rollerflex just because others had it. And I was like, hey, this will be cool. And I started really getting into the history of photography and looking at other photographers that started inspiring me uh, and then bought a Leica you know because they're so different I was just trying to find my happy place I guess whilst like fucking ruining like 50 to 250 rolls of film like <laughs> no idea what I was doing and then yeah bought bought a contact 645 and started photographing my little man and then it got to a point Nath where I was like shit I just want to photograph my family on film I'm, I hated taking a digital camera photo of my family because I never wanted to put that SD card in the, in the computer and look at it and worry about Lightroom and all. Man, I do that for work. I don't feel like I was happy doing that outside of that medium. Um, maybe I just shoot all my family on film and then get the scans back and, and not have to worry really too much about any adjustments or anything like that. And then, yeah, and that's how it grew. And then got to a point where I'd, you know, take along film cameras to weddings just to give couples a, a unique perspective of what a traditional kind of photograph without sliders going crazily left and right would actually look like. And then I'd deliver like them, like the negative slips as well. And some printed photos of just, you know, 35 mil film. Fast forward, man, right to, to where I am now, which is a total different perspective. And I guess it's probably what brings this podcast episode to light. Got to a point, man, um, in November last year, I was like looking at all my cameras. I had, you know, like all the flagship, like M6 and Rolly and all of this. And I was like, fuck, like, I've been so unhappy with the results I've got from film. It seemed to be a hit and miss thing for me. I enjoy the process, 
but not really the product. I love the look of film when it's done correctly. So then I was like, shit, okay, cool. What I'm going to do is I'm going to shoot 30 rolls of 35 mil film on my favorite camera, which is my Leica. I'm going to shoot a roll a day for 30 days. And then I'll decide after that, whether I'm going to sell it. Maybe I just haven't given it the time like other photographers have where they've shot so much. So I shot the first three days, sent the film off for a rush, like scan develop, got them back. And I was like, fuck, that's terrible. Two photos out of 36 are in focus. And I'm like, I understood the foundations of like light and, and how to expose and all that. But I just, for some reason, man, like, I, you know, and still the, hopefully this episode brings it to light of maybe why I was unhappy working it out to 12 days, sent all the film off, got 10 photos I was happy with out of what, 360. And I was like, yeah, that was a pretty expensive learning curve for sale. Like a M6. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I sold all my film stuff, man. And that's where we're at now. I've only got the Canon 1V, which I still rock and roll. I shot last week um, at a styled shoot just because I do really enjoy film. Like if you said me what would you love to do i'd be like dude i 100 percent want to shoot weddings on film like yeah that's, that's what i would enjoy i mean a roll a day is a lot of that's a lot of photos no like i almost well i almost wonder if doing that you were trying to take more photos than you really needed to it became a chore bro to be honest yeah. eh? and then again nath i think from our last conversation whether it was off air on my end of the podcast i had this analogy right i want i'd love to know your thoughts man what's the point in shooting film and getting JPEGs back and not having a hand in the process. Why don't I just shoot digital and not look at the files for two weeks and then get the files back as JPEGs, which they, you know, you can shoot in JPEG anyway and not touch and they look fine. Is it the mechanics of the camera that I was really intrigued about and in love with? And then my answer was yes. I enjoy the look of it, but I never got the result that I was desired to get. Yeah. And then I was like, next time I do it, my thought is, shit, man, I'm going to be like, shooting black and white only and i'm gonna hopefully be able to develop my stuff and understand where i'm mucking up <laughs> like i don't know i mean i think it's both you know for any sort of creative process you want to enjoy the actual process that you're doing and feel comfortable with that and find something that you know works for you but you also want the result at the end so yeah i'm kind of curious to know what you didn't like about the results you were getting i mean i tried so many different labs and stuff like that and i never really had a, a communication base with e any of them either so i never really asked for feedback or got feedback but to be straight a lot of my color stuff was coming back real muddy it seemed to be like when I'd look at the negative, like I bought like a little light board and had a look at the negative, seemed to be exposed correctly. There was still detail everywhere. I was just like, this is not clean. Like it got to a point, man, where I like, I would shoot it alongside my digital camera, same settings, exposures, exactly the same, and then shoot it. And then I'd look at my digital and then look at my, and it was like chalk and cheese, like so different. And I understand that with colors and that, but I'm like, dude, why is it mud? Man, I'm not sitting on Lightroom pushing like five stops up on that. Like, I don't get that. And yeah. that, that's still what I didn't understand. Yeah. Like, and why it was the same, bro. Hey, like one frame out of 36 sometimes was just clean, but the rest I'm like, man, it's terrible. So that's pretty interesting. And I think probably a really common thing for people who shoot color film. And there's something I do when I shoot color film that makes a huge difference and that's overexposing it. So you've probably heard a lot of people who shoot on film talk about the latitude and the dynamic range. They talk about how great it is, right? Like we've all kind of heard that, but I don't mm. think anyone ever really explains what that means. When you're specifically referring to the latitude in color negative film, you're not talking about like dynamic range, like, oh, look, I've got so much detail from my highlights all the way through to my shadows. We're talking about the fact that you can overexpose it so far. So you can overexpose color negative film by five stops and still get a great result out of it. Mm. 
Mm. But what you can't do is underexpose it and get a great result. If you underexpose film, it's going to look really muddy. You're not going to have detail in it. What happens with color negative film? When you actually expose the film to light, you're filling in detail. You can continue to expose, like I said, two, three, four stops overexposed, and you're putting more and more shadow detail in, but the film is retaining the detail in the highlights. And that seems crazy to think that you can overexpose your highlights so far because on a digital camera, you can't. If you go a few stops over, you get it into Lightroom, your highlights are just white and blown out and you can't bring them back. Exactly, yeah. But what you can do on a digital camera is bring up your shadows a long way. Mm. There's Mm. heaps of shadow detail. So you can underexpose on a digital camera and then slide your exposure up in Lightroom, still get a decent result. Might not be the ideal way to do it, but that's where the information is on a digital camera. On color negative film, the information is in the highlights. So you want to expose it a lot. So if you're shooting, say, Portra 400, just set the exposure compensation dial on your camera to two stops over or three stops over. Or you can just tell the camera it's 100 speed film. Either way, it's going to do the same thing. It's just going to give Mm -hmm. it more light than the box speed of 400. And you're just going to put heaps of detail in your shadows. And you're going to end up with a negative that is what we call dense. That's another term that gets thrown around in film. And I don't know if everyone knows exactly what it means. When you have your film, it's got the emulsion. It's got all the little light sensitive crystals. You expose them to light. The ones that get exposed to light change their state. The ones that don't see any light... Don't change. Then when you put the film into the chemical developer, the chemical washes away all of the crystals that didn't get exposed. So the ones that were looking at the dark parts of the scene that are the shadows. So there's no crystals left there and there's a lot of crystals left in the highlights. So that part of the film is thicker because there's more crystals left on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's thicker or denser. So that's where the term density comes from. And that's where all your information lies. So what happens is if you don't expose your film very well, when you scan it, those shadow areas, all of the crystals have been washed away. All the film grains washed away. There's actually nothing there. So when you scan it, it's just light going through a clear piece of plastic, just the acetate that is at the back of the film. So it doesn't matter how much you try and bring up those details, there's actually nothing recorded or very, Mm -hmm. very little information recorded. But if you've put heaps of detail in, if you've overexposed the film, You've put all that detail into the shadows. It's still in the highlights. Now, the reason I know this is because I scan my own film. You put the film through the scanner. It pops up with a preview image, which is just the scanner's best guess of how the image should look based on like a histogram. Kind of gives you a middle of the road exposure correction. Just going, this is kind of what I think it should look like. Sometimes it looks great. Sometimes it looks terrible. You pretty much always have to correct it in some way. Mm -hmm. And the person who is scanning your film at the lab should be doing this and all good labs will do it. Some labs don't bother or don't do a very good job. What I've seen when I do it is I can drag back that exposure correction. It's called density Mm -hmm. correction when you're scanning, but it's the same thing. Exposure density, there's just different terms for the same thing. You can just Mm -hmm. drag back that exposure just like you do in Lightroom and you can see, like I could be standing out in the sun, you know, in the middle of the day in summer with the sun just hitting my hair and my hair just blowing out like crazy because you've exposed for the shadows on my face. And now if you did that on a digital camera, the hair's gone. There's no detail in that bit of hair. But if I've done that on film and I can drag back that density correction and you can see every single hair on my head, there is no loss of detail in those highlights. Now, that doesn't mean that we can make a crazy like HDR looking image where 
you can see all those highlights and you can also mm. see detail in the shadows. But what it does is it means that you've exposed so that you've got details in your shadows. You've got detail in the entire image. Mm -hmm. So when you balance it, there won't be a bit that looks muddy because mm -hmm. it didn't get any light and it's all the emulsions washed away in the developer. It'll have detail there. It'll have detail in the highlights. You'll get much more rich blacks. You'll get much better highlight detail. And what you'll have done is you'll actually have increased the dynamic range in the picture that you've captured. So if you underexpose film, and then you adjust the density correction or the exposure mm -hmm. of the scan to just get it where you want it, you can have very little dynamic range. And that's mm -hmm. because you didn't capture much light. You only captured your highlights and all the other details have washed away in the bath. But if you have overexposed and just put all that detail in, you just have more detail through your image. Now, there is a point where you go too far. Mm. Like if you overexpose by, you know, seven or eight or nine stops, you'll still have detail in the image, but your highlights are going to start looking really weird. You're not going to get mm. nice, smooth roll-off on the highlights. Yep. And that's because the scanner has to push so much because the film is so dense. There's so much left on there because you've exposed it so much. It has to push so much light through that you just don't get a nice looking result. Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of a sweet spot. Mine is normally two stops. Maybe if I'm shooting in really harsh conditions, there's a lot of backlight, I'll set it to three stops and that will get you a much more evenly exposed image and a lot more detail and you won't have those muddy shadows that you're talking about. So say if you were to, say if the vision was to create something quite moody, right? Say there's like a, a little slither of light coming down and you're doing like a very tight portrait, right? So little slither of light's quite bright. What what I generally do, obviously digital, I'd be exposing for the highlight to pretty much create the image that I envision straight in camera, allowing that highlight to be the piece of that portrait. You're saying with film then, you would obviously expose for the shadow, but then bring down, like when you say, I understand like exposing for the shadow, retaining more details in the highlight. Like, I mean, there's details therefore in the highlights and also the there's something there in the shadows. What about when you bring that back down to the medium where you wanted it to be? How does that transition the shadows? Like do the shadows then have more detail than you actually wanted depending on that how how bright that highlight and that shadow was does that kind of make sense like that question? Yeah, and this is where communicating with the your lab is really important. Mm. If you're using a lab, that's exactly what you would do. You'd take your picture, you would meter for Maybe not the darkest shadow, but you just yep. make sure you're metering so that you're going to get some yep. kind of detail in your shadows. So you could meter for the highlight and then literally just push up two stops. Yeah, exactly. Which is going to give you probably a middle ground depending on how dark those shadows are. Yeah. When, when you have tricky lighting situations, you do have to experiment a bit. What you can do, just even just when you're getting started, a good little trick in those kind of situations is to just bracket your exposures. Go, okay, I'm going to shoot one at box speed. I'm going to shoot one two stops over. I'm going to shoot one two stops under. I mean, that wouldn't be any good, but you can just do it anyway. I'm going to shoot one five stops over. And as mm. long as you know, like record what you've done, because you're not going to have the EXIF data like you do mm. on digital. As long as you remember what you've done, you look at all your scans, you can go, oh, look, the five stopped over actually came out better or the two stop over came out better. And you can slowly get an idea for the best way to meet it. It is a slow learning process as opposed to digital where you can instantly see what you're getting, but that's just mm -hmm. the, obviously the nature of film. But yeah, the second part of getting that result right is having a relationship with the lab because the person who is doing the scan needs to know how you want that picture to look. They'll run the film through the scanner and they'll get a preview 
based on the software just going, here's roughly what it thinks it should look like based on the histogram. It'll usually just land in the middle of the histogram, which generally mm-hmm. isn't right. It definitely won't be right in that kind of situation. It'll probably yep. brighten it right up because it'll go, this image is dark. Yep. It needs to be brighter. But if you've told the lab, these pictures need to look dark, I want them corrected for the highlights. So the highlights look mm. really nice and everything else is going to be really dark. They will correct that density and they'll just bring the exposure, they'll bring the brightness of the film down mm-hmm. and they'll just do that to the point where they think that looks correct based on what you've communicated with them. What you'll get is if you've overexposed it, the highlights will still have the detail. The shadows will just end up looking more black. Underexposed film, the shadows have that faded look. It's that classic like yeah. visco look that we all used to see, the faded film look that everyone thinks is really mm. trendy. That has come from underexposed film. That's what I didn't like. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, it became a bit of a fad, but like that's, it's just film that's not exposed properly. If you took a picture with your lens cap on, on black and white mm. film, so it's giving it no light and got that developed, you get a really faded look on that yeah. one bit of film because it's just, there's just no light getting to it. When you do it, you're not going to get, you're not going to get it back and go, oh, it looks like someone's dragged the shadow slider way up in yeah. Lightroom. Yeah. They're still going to correct it where you want it. And the, the shadows will just look deeper and richer and there will be some detail in there, but it'll be buried in the darkness. And you might need to make them darker in Lightroom depending on mm-hmm. exactly where you want the image to land. Like there's no way for the person operating the scanner to know exactly what you have in your head. Yeah. But the more that you can communicate with them how you, how you want the film to look at the end of the process, the more chance they've got of getting it right for you. So I got two questions. First one is if the lab doesn't bring that density down, like you said, some labs may just you know, scan it and send it off. And it's throwing me a JPEG to my email, which is five stops over. Now, do I have the latitude now or am I? No, I don't. No, now it's gone. Yeah, now Now because it's now it's a pixel, right? Yeah, so the the latitude is in the negative. That's where the latitude is. Once Mm. you've scanned it, it's just like any other digital image. If it's a TIFF, it's going to have more information than a JPEG because TIFFs Mm -hmm. have more information saved in them. But if they haven't corrected it and it's either too light or too dark... There's not going to be that much you can do with it. Yeah, you would have to get it re-scanned. When they're making those adjustments, they're working off the raw image that the scanner saved and then they hit save. Providing a JPEG. Yeah, and that raw data just gets deleted. Second question, bro, though, on that is you're saying the importance of communicating with a lab now, are you, are you communicating all the time with the lab? Like, let's say you're you're shooting doco style, right? And you just want an overall balanced image, right? And you've, you know, set the camera up to be two stops over. Do you communicate to the lab, hey guys, the five thirty-five mil rolls here, like should just be evenly balanced? If you just want evenly balanced, then, I mean, they should just be correcting that. A, a lab like Atkins in Adelaide are really good because mm. you can provide them with samples of your work or samples of other work that you like the look of. And they will bring that up on the screen and use it as a reference when they're correcting your images. Those guys actually do a two-step process where they'll do the initial scan, get that just looking kind of flat and even, and then they'll put it into this other Kodak software where they can make these really much more specific and um, small adjustments to it. Mm-hmm. The scanning software is um, kind of like taking a sledgehammer. You can't even control the contrast in the image. All you can control is that density correction and color okay. balance. Mm-hmm. So they just get that looking pretty even. They bring that into this other one. And then they've got your image on the screen. And they're going, this is how Ryan likes his pictures looking. Mm-hmm. This is where he likes his skin tones landing. This is how much shadow detail he wants or you know whatever it is. And they'll correct mm-hmm. it to that. Now, most mm-hmm. labs aren't going to do that. They're just going to do that first pass. And they might not even do a good job of that. In terms of just if you've got five rolls that you've overexposed, there will just be detail in that. 
right? Mm. When I talk about latitude, it's like a, having a safety net for your images. So as long as you land one to four stops overexposed, you're fine. Obviously, there would be an absolute sweet spot in there that is the for best sure. possible place to land. But honestly, it really doesn't matter. As long as you're overexposed by at least a stop or two, three or four stops, you just don't even need to worry about what you're doing. So the way I shoot 35 millimeter film is I shoot an aperture priority so I can set the aperture I want for, to mm-hmm. control my depth of field. I put the exposure compensation on two or three stops over and then I just shoot. And I mm-hmm. keep an eye on the shutter to make sure the shutter's not getting too yeah. slow. And all that does is just puts heaps of info in my eggs and they just scan well every time. Film, if you do the same thing, once you work out how to get a good result, if you do the same thing, film will give you the exact same result every time. So you've mm. got this safety net of like th- of three stops, whether it's one to four over, as long as you know that you're over, you're fine. So the exposure compensation dial on your film camera is like the most important tool. As long as you set that, you know, like I've seen it before, I've like for whatever reason, I've set it on box or been a bit under and I was just going, ah, well, that's that shot's gone. It's like yep. I didn't put anything into that. But as long yep. as I know I'm within that range, I stop thinking about my exposure. And, you know, I can't see it and I don't need to see it because I mm-hmm. know I'm in that safety zone. Whereas if you're on digital, the difference between being one or four stops over is huge. The difference between being two and one stop over is huge. That doesn't mean you couldn't correct that later in Lightroom, but Mm. because you're looking at the image right there, you want to get it right in camera. 100%. The way to get it right in camera for film, color negative film, is to be overexposed. So you emphasize color negative. Yeah. So What about swinging a black and white? Yeah, so black and white doesn't have the same amount of latitude. Um, It does have some latitude. The way I typically shoot black and white film, and it depends a little bit on the film stock too, I guess there there are two kind of main types of um, black and white film, or at least that I've shot. For Kodak, that is Tri-X mm-hmm. and T-Max. Now, Tri-X has been made for 60 years. Go get all these amazing old photo books. You know, Vivian Ma, you know, any, any street shooters from the 60s were shooting on Tri-X. And if you go buy Tri-X now, it's the exact same film stock. Mm-hmm. Very contrasty, looks beautiful has that you know old world elegant look and really looks like what I think we think film looks like. Mm-hmm. T-Max is a really modern emulsion. I don't know exactly when it's been designed. They've obviously refined it and possibly they're still refining it. But what it has is it has more dynamic range. Uh, you can pull a lot more detail out of the shadows. It comes out with a lot less contrast. It's a lot more flat, much sharper grain. So a lot more detail, just a sharper mm-hmm. looking image. So it depends on the kind of look you want. Trix is just the, the classic kind of look. T-Max is a bit more of a, a modern kind of look. Both look like film. And Ilford have the same thing. Ilford have HP5, which is their one they've been making forever. And then they have the Delta, you know, Delta 100, Delta 400, and that's a more modern one. And it's basically mm-hmm. the same kind of result. When I shoot T-Max, I usually just put it two-thirds of a stopover. But really, you just need to be on either, either box speed or a little bit overexposed uh, for black and white. You don't need to overexpose it in the same way. You won't get a really pleasing result, but you probably need to be a little bit more mindful too that you don't have that big safety net. You know, when shooting color, I know that if I'm in a, a lighting situation where there's some crazy highlights bouncing around and my camera might, if I'm using, you know, automatic metering, if my camera might meter for those, if I point at them, I know that maybe I'm set to four stops over, but actually the skin tones in there are going to land like one stop over. You're yep. still within that safety net, right? You don't have that with black and white film. If you're four stops over, you probably you've gone too far. Um, and same, if you end up underexposed, you're, you're going to get that really muddy kind of look. Which is why I like to overexpose T Max. You know, two thirds of a stop, 
or maybe even one full stop if it's, you know, really heavily backlit or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to spend the time, you know, manually metering skin tones, which we don't always have time to do. You just need to bring it back down a bit more. Really just look at shooting at box speed, but just consider the light you're shooting in a little bit more. The other thing that I like to do with black and white film, I develop it myself. And I feel like that's taught me a lot about what is happening in camera, like how that translates into the negative. I've also found that the developing times listed on the um, Kodak box are really a long way off, at least for the way I'm doing it. Like I think for Mm -hmm. Tri-X, they recommend if you shoot it at 400 that you should develop it for three and a half minutes. There's this amazing app called Massive Dev Chart, which is kind of a a communal app that everyone can change the times on, but it it has like every film stock with every developer, all the combinations to to develop film. And it's really accurate. But even then, I think it says like maybe five minutes. I found Mm -hmm. if I shoot Tri-X at 400, I want to develop it for eight and a half minutes, which is what you would do if you were pushing at a stop. But I do that for Mm -hmm. 400 speed. And what that does is gives me, again, lots of detail in my shadows without ruining my highlights. So when I scan the image, it's the same thing. I've got a lot of extra detail. So when I correct the image, the blacks are nice and rich. They don't look too faded. And there's just a lot of just nice, even spread of detail. Have you thought why? Like the times are so No, I can't so really different. I can't really figure it out to be honest. I think I think the reason I like to go a bit more than the dev chart is because I like I like to have dense negatives because they do have a mm-hmm. bit a lot more information and that's just the way I like my images to look. I'm not sure why Kodak recommends that. I don't know if I'm doing something completely wrong to what mm-hmm. the way they're recommending. Like, But this is where just getting in there and doing it yourself and experimenting sure. where you're really going to learn about what is actually happening. And I, mm. I had that to begin with. I just went, okay, well, I'll do it for the four minutes or whatever. And it came out and there was no detail in it. The negs were like paper thin. And I just looked at it. I'm like, they're almost clear. Where's all the picture gone? Mm. And the next time I did it for longer and I was like, oh, that works a bit better. And then next time I did it a bit longer and I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to find hit that eight and a half minutes and I always get good results. I'm like, okay, I'm just sticking with that now. Yeah, for not, sure. I'm not changing that. I'm going to shoot it that same way. Mm. And I just try and think a little bit about how I'm exposing, you know, just looking at the light going, okay, well, if we're really backlit or there's a window in this photo, the camera might be metering for that window. So I might just dial it up a little bit here. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. that, it's just experimentation. You might do that. You get it back and you've way overexposed it. And you're like, okay, it didn't work that time. You just got to keep trialing these things. I think that's a pretty good rule is to just go two stops over for color negative film, box speed or a little bit over for black and white. And that's a pretty safe range to shoot in and you'll get a a pretty different result. What about Super 8 then? Similar color? Yes. Well, Super 8's a tricky one and I haven't done any scanning of that myself. I can't really speak too much to that as to how to get the best result. I've always been pretty happy with the results that I get. You know, you just got to make sure you've got a good working light meter in the camera mm. that you've got i think is the i mean the, the film's going to work the same surely you know it, it does and it, and it just depends on how it's being scanned and adjusted yeah i think yeah. i've always been meaning to kind of investigate that and chat with the guys who scan the pictures and work out exactly what they're doing and how best for me to expose it it's funny oh, i got a got a roller super eight back and i was watching it the other day and i shot there was this highlight coming down on the couch um just this you know golden highlight and I just step back and, and just let the camera do its thing. Didn't even look at anything. Don't adjust anything. Just and like my little boy was like walking through. I got the MP4 back and I was like, fuck, it's like perfect. It was like whether that was the lab had just like changed the density so that the highlight was like 
literally like the perfect exposure because it was literally black and then you could just see him just come through the slither of light and I found it really interesting because I thought when I shot it because it was far to the right it wasn't center frame I was like surely this is just going to be like super muddy shadows and then this crazy bright overexposed highlight that's going to look like a ghost is going through it it, it kind of stumped me I was like how how did that happen like <laughs> my experience with any super 8 camera that I've used and I've used the good ones and I've used some lower end ones is that they're very sensitive to highlights so you could have one tiny little specular highlight in the corner of the frame and it will stop it right down gotcha yeah like I said I'm not too sure about how they correct it and, mm. and adjust it but I usually get a pretty good result and I've always gone for a bit of a lo-fi look with super 8 so I haven't been too fussed but you know it is color negative film still so it should have that dynamic range and I've listened to Roger Deakins talk on his podcast mm -hmm. a lot about shooting motion picture film and you know he, he would do the same thing he would overexpose it I think he used to say like he likes to give it like an extra two-thirds of a stop and he'd just get a really dense negative and it would be the same thing he'd be communicating with the guys that would do they used to call it color timing now we call it color grading but it was, mm. it was timing for um film days and it would have to tell the colorists i've overexposed this it's gonna be very dense you're gonna need to change your settings because otherwise they would get their dailies yep. back you know that they'd watch the, the next day of what they'd shot and it would be all incorrectly exposed and he said mm -hmm. had that happened because they didn't do what he had told mm -hmm. them to do so so much of it comes down to communication mm. you've got to know what you're shooting for because you're not handling the entire process the people who are taking over, like who are going to mm. scan the film, they need to know what you're, what you want, or it could still land anywhere. But I think the, an important thing to remember with film scans is just because they look bright or they look overexposed doesn't mean you've overexposed the film. And similarly, if they look dark, it does not mean you've underexposed the film. It just means they've been adjusted to look that way. Mm -hmm. You can overexpose film and then you can adjust it and make it really dark. You can underexpose film and you can adjust it and make it really bright. The difference will be how the detail looks in that mm. photo, how muddy and faded mm. your shadows look, how nice and smooth the roll-off on your highlights is and how much dynamic range you end up with in your scan. You just got to not think about like, oh, I want this to be dark, I'll underexpose. Mm. If you want it dark, you tell the lab it needs to be dark. If you want it bright, mm. you tell the lab it needs to be bright and you just fill the film with light and you'll be, you'll be pretty safe. And when in doubt, err on the side of overexposing. Mm. So if you're not sure, even if black and white film, if you're not quite sure, overexpose it to stop. Don't go two or three or four. That's too much for black and white, but just go over for a stop. If you're not sure for color, just do three stops over. It'll look great. Like it mm. will look really, really good. And you'll be really surprised with the result. It's a hard thing to get your head around. I've said this to people who shoot film and they underexpose it. And I've, like I've scanned film for some of my friends and I said, did you overexpose it? Like I said, they're like, oh no, like I checked on my digital camera and it looked good on there. I'm like, it's a different camera. It's not, yeah, for not sure. the same thing. A few of the early weddings that I shot when I was learning how to use my speed light on my um, 35mm film camera, and I, I shot them alongside a photographer, you know, shooting digital, and I wasn't quite sure how it was going to bounce in certain situations yep. or, you know, the black roof and it, it's going to reflect. And I'd say to them, I think I'm bright. Can you just put these settings into your camera and see how it looks? And they'd shoot it. It'd be way overexposed. And I'd be like, oh, no, that's no good. I'm like, no, it's perfect. Thanks. But that's where I want it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's going to land well. And it does. Yep. Whereas if yep. I took their exact settings and I put them into my camera, some bits would be exposed okay. Shadows are probably pretty yep. bad. You just got to think about it differently. It's a different way of working and shooting. But once you get your head around that, there is less to think about because you don't think about exposure. You just think about that safety net that you need to be within. And as long as you're within that, then you just forget about everything else. And you just look at the light in your frame. You look at whether you're taking a good shot. You look at what's happening in front of you. 
and not be like, oh, I've got to check my camera and what's that? Mm. Oh, that's a little bit, you know, because a third or two thirds of a stop doesn't matter in film as long as you're on the overexposed side. But, you know, if you are looking on the back of your camera, uh, on your digital camera, if you're two thirds of a stop or a third of a stop out, you're going to be like, oh, no, that's no good. And you'll change 100%. it by that tiny little increment. I mean, you could just fix that later in Lightroom so easily. A third of a stop makes no difference. You could, no, that's right. On a digital camera, you could push it either way and you'd be totally fine. But when you're looking at the image, you're like, I've got to correct this now. I've got to get it exactly right so it's perfect. And you're wasting time looking at the picture mm. while you're supposed to be shooting. Hundred mm, percent. I mean, now you're looking through your EVF, right? Like adjusting as you on the fly, right? It was funny the other day. The bride was walking out of their chapel, super dark EVF on the eye. Keep walking backwards, and then it was just like boom, dialed it down four stops. It's like every and then I was looking at three rules, and it was like bang on middle, 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 and then she just walked straight in the sun. It was like perfect. There wasn't like a frame overexposed, which was so crazy, right? Like I've kind of said that like digital SLR cameras they're like this weird middle ground that happened between having an actual SLR that shot film mm. and having yep. mirrorless cameras. Yeah. Because yep. it's like you're recording a digital picture, 100%. but you're yeah. looking at it th optically through the lens. I reckon a digital SLR, it's like a CD. It's like this weird mm. middle ground where they forced hybrid of technologies. It's like you had vinyl records for ages and then music went digital and we put it into this weird... Yeah, fully. It's like a digital record. It's like it's, it's yeah, got to yeah. be read by a laser, but it's still the same shape. It still spins like a record. Spins, yeah, yeah. But you're still limited by how much you can put on there. And then along came an iPod, completely rethought it. And it's like, yeah. this works. And then when you look this back, it's like, digital. CDs were dumb. <laughs> just, yeah. We needed them put to, it like that. We needed them to get there. We needed DSLRs to get to mirrorless. You couldn't yeah. just make that jump from a film camera to a full mirrorless yeah. digital camera. Yeah. But I, I just feel like once you have that, a digital SLR does not make sense. And mm. I reckon the only people who think that they're easier to shoot on than mirrorless are people who are used to them. You know, it's like you're just so used to that camera. You know, you get onto mirrorless, doesn't work the same and you've got to like muscle memory for... That was me, man. I mean, I sent my, my R5s back because I hated it, man. I bought the mirrorless cameras and never picked them up at weddings. I was like, I just couldn't get the roll on them. But it was muscle memory, right? And then I just forced myself, forced myself. And I was like, it's just dumb proof. Like, it's so easy to be there in the, in the story, just sitting right there with an EVF up, looking exactly how light's going to fall, exactly where you want it, finding the shadows, finding the highlights in your eye with, with being in the story the whole time without like, yeah, like you said, optical, like you're shooting film, then look at the back of the, the screen, then come up and adjust, then shoot, then look at the back of the screen, then go, yeah, cool, I'm, I'm good. And then you walk outside and you're like, repeat. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, you know, shooting wedding videos, I would often get photographers saying like, are you checking what you're shooting? Like, mm. Do you, how do you know? I'm like, I'm looking at the picture as I'm filming yeah, yeah. it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not looking, you know, I'm looking through the through lens, glass. but I'm looking at the sensor. That's so right. I don't need to um, check what I'm doing because I know what I'm doing. Know, yeah. I'm watching it as I'm, as I'm filming it. So mm. it's just, you know, it's a different approach and we all just do what, what works for us. Do you want to talk about pushing and pulling a little bit? My experience with pushing and pulling was just an experimentation thing, Nath. No real idea where I was why I was doing it. Again, just seeing others do it. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm interested to see the results here. You know, like a lot of people were saying, like give the film more details by overexposing. So then like I would expose differently, but no idea how I'd communicate that with the lab. Like, hey guys, I've, I've shot under or over or I'm pushing or pulling. So yeah, we'd love to pick your brain, man, on, on 
your thoughts and in, if you've never heard of it pushing and pulling just refers to putting the film in the developer into the chemistry for longer or shorter period of time than you should so the idea is for pushing you've underexposed your film and maybe that's because you were shooting in a really low light situation you couldn't expose it that much so you've underexposed it and then to compensate for that you leave it in the developer longer to try and bring out more of the image. It's not going to get the same result as if you had just shot it normally because, like I said earlier, if you haven't got detail in your shadows, it doesn't matter what you do to the film, there's nothing there. But what it'll do is it'll just kind of dig for as much as it can. I don't know if it's that much different to just shooting it at the box speed and correcting it with the scan anyway because you'll get a lot more contrast when you push film and you'll get a much more prominent grain. It'll look mm. a lot more grainy and a lot more noisy. And it only really works for black and white film. But it's a really good thing to do, you know, because film only goes up to a certain speed. You know, we can't shoot 10,800 mm -hmm. ISO film. So you might need to do that just to try and pull an extra stop or two of light out of it. Or you might like the effect that you get from it. Like I said, we all kind of find our recipes for what we think works. Like my recipe for shooting Triax is technically I'm pushing at a stop because I'm... Ex I'm giving yep. it that extra time, but I'm not underexposing it. Yes. And that's just what works for me. So it's, it's a bit of a trend and we see it on Instagram. It's like, oh, you know, try X 400, push two stops. And you might just copy that because you're like, oh, people are pushing it. I'll, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. But you don't really know why you're doing it. Exactly. For me, the only reason I do it is if I need that extra bit of light. Yeah. You know, yeah, if I'm okay. like, I can only shoot 800 in here. I just, my shutter's getting so to. slow. Yeah. I'm at 1.4. That's the only reason I do it. And I never really love the results. Personally, I just use my speed light a lot. You know, if it's just getting too dark, usually, you know, if you're shooting in really dark situation on film, it doesn't perform very well. And the light's probably not that good anyway. You know, like digital cameras handle low light so well and can kind of mm -hmm. capture really low lit ambient scenes really beautifully. But film doesn't really. It'll just mm -hmm. kind of looks muddy and doesn't have detail and doesn't look very nice. And I'm like, well, if you just introduce your own lighting then... Mm. You know, and you can control that and, and know how to get a result that you want. I think that's much more effective. So anytime I'm inside, pretty much, I just chuck my speed light on and I just bounce it. And I've just learned how to, you know, bounce it like directly sideways, like just point it on a 90 degree angle. So I'm hitting the wall next to me directly. Mm -hmm. And it's just coming back nice and soft on one side of someone's face. This just looks like you've got a softbox next to them. And you can learn to balance that with the ambient light in a scene and get this nice kind of combination. You just kind of have to accept that's a limitation of film. You can't you can't shoot candlelit dinners for sure and, and get them looking like digital. Digital performs so well in those situations mm. and, and film just kind of doesn't. Pulling film is the opposite where you overexpose it and then you put it in the, the developer for less time. Honestly, it's completely pointless because if you've overexposed it, you just put more say, detail yeah. in and there's, there's yeah. no reason to develop it less. You're just going to throw away some of that detail. Detail. Yeah, that's doing it for black and white film for color film I think honestly like my personal opinion it's a pointless thing to do and the reason I say there's no point pulling it because as we explained before if you put four stops extra light into your color neg film it's going to look great and if you mm. send it to a lab and you tell them you've pulled it and you want them to pull it in the development they won't mm. all color negative film whether it's ISO 100 whether it's ISO 800 it all gets developed in the exact same way it all gets developed mm -hmm. for three and a half minutes there's no different development time because it's slower or faster. But the way they push it is to just come up with a hack. And that is to just either increase the temperature of the chemicals so that they're warmer and yep. therefore have will increase the effect that they have or they'll leave it in there for longer, Which in which case they have to hack their machines to kind of pause them so they just sit in that developer for longer because these things are all... Color negative film has to be so precisely developed to get 
uh, accurate result and get you know correct um, color. So you have to kind of hack your way around that. Mm. And what you end up getting is again you get a muddy looking image because it's been underexposed and you've just tried to pull some detail out of it. You won't get good color accuracy because everything is so refined and you're just all of a sudden changing that. Some people like that result, but I think it's just kind of trendy. It just looks a bit like visco filters. Yep. yep. It's not really how film is supposed to look or designed to be looked. And if you want your film to be contrasty and faded, it's like you could just do the same thing in Lightroom. Yeah, for sure. There's no reason to ask a lab to unplug their machine for two minutes and then plug it back in so it finishes the developer because that's what they're doing to them to get them to do these things. It's so crazy and they'll they'll do it. I'm chatting with the guys at Atkins Lab. They've said really the only reason to do it for color is if you've made a mistake. So if you put the film in your camera, you had your camera set to 800 ISO and you had 400 ISO film in there and it's all underexposed and they can help correct that a little bit. It won't get you back to where you should be, but it it will help a bit. And that's one thing to do. But they've said, if you overexpose it and send it to them and say, I want to pull this, they'll just say, you don't need to pull it and they'll just run it as normal or they'll just run it as normal anyway and just send it back to you. That's kind of how that works. Pushing and pulling black and white film has been around for ages because you know mm. black and white film has been around for so long and people are doing that in the dark room to get all kinds of different results. Color film, it's just kind of a bit strange. If you don't know why you're doing it for color film, I've seen people do it for their first role. It's like, I've got Portrait 400 and I pushed it to stop. It's like, why? Yeah, for One, sure. there's Portrait 800, which is a stop faster. Two, why did you do that before you'd even shot a roll of it? Mm, for sure. And, and you're just setting yourself up to get terrible results. If you don't actually know why you're doing it, you shouldn't do it. And you need to chat with a lab or chat with someone who understands what's actually happening in the process and, you know, experiment yourself as well. And if you like that result, then it's like, awesome, go and do it. Mm, But don't just do it for the sake of doing it because I I don't think that's really a way to learn and, and progress with your work. Makes way more sense, man. Seek to understand is a big thing. Hence why like I kind of got over it because I was just like, not that I was like, didn't have any understanding of it, but I was just like, why are we doing these things? Why am I doing that? Why am I overexposing? You know, why are my film photos coming back muddy? When you explain it the way you do, Nath, makes way more sense. Like breaking it down to like the crystals in the negative, right? Like when you explain that, it's like, oh shit. Okay, cool. I, I see now. I didn't have to go through 30 rolls in 30 days or 12 rolls in 12 or whatever I did. Man, you could have pulled up like pretty soon and fixed that and then just kept rocking and then probably enjoyed it and then got the actual results. Because I mean, yeah, what's the point, right? If you're not getting the results you want, there there's, can be better tools out there for you. And it's hard to know. And I know Atkins and I know Working Process in Melbourne offer to give feedback, but they're not, mm. I don't know how actively they do it or mm. how much, and I think other labs would really just rely on people coming back and saying, I'm not happy with this scan. What can I do to get it to look like this? And they might be able to tell you. But yeah, it's a tricky one when there's not that information outright and you're not getting that instant feedback that you do that you do with digital. You know, I learned to shoot on digital. I think we all would have really struggled to become photographers if, if we were shooting on film to begin with. It would have been a much harder process to kind of go from being a, a hobbyist to a professional so quickly. Oh, for sure. I mean, you don't have to do much thinking, right? You know, with the digital camera to be able to at least just get a okay photograph. No, you don't. And, and you know, a lot of people complain, you know, digital cameras have made it too easy and there's eye tracking autofocus now and there's all this stuff. But like the thing that I've learned so much about film and having all these limitations just the time it takes to to do and you know not wanting to spend too much money shooting Mm. it's just taught me to really look closely at what i'm doing 
Mm. And my photography has gotten so much better since I started shooting film because I'm really concentrating. You know, I've go, I go back through my old family photos, ones I took on digital years ago, and I can look at them and go, yep, composition's nice. So everything's laid out in thirds. It's exposed well and it's focused well. But there's like nothing happening in the photo. It's mm. just like there's my child there and they look cute because they're a cute little kid. But they're just sort of sitting there doing nothing. And you can mm. just take a million of those photos because you just keep going and going and going. And mm. now, like, I just take so few and I'm just so much more focused on trying to capture them and really concentrate on light and what it's doing because I can't just fix it in post later really easily. I, I think when we, you know, take a, a picture on a digital camera and it might not look that good, it's like, oh, ooh, I could I could fix this later. And it's like, mm. well, maybe the better thing to do is this doesn't look that good. I need to think about how I can improve it. It's like that analogy, man. It's like if you only had 36 photos at a whole wedding, what would you choose to shoot? And how would you shoot them? And that just totally flips the switch. Hey, totally transitions your thought process and how methodical you are in making those images with that medium that you're using, whether that is digital. I mean, you can still put that crunch in digital and go through that process. I remember when I was teaching down in Tassie two months ago, people were saying they're shooting like 12,000 frames at a wedding. And I'm like, is this like a 10 day wedding or something? What the fuck? Like, yeah. And, and they're just like, nah, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't shoot a lot, but I'm like, holy shit. And my first thought was like, how much consideration are you giving to the photographs that you're making? Like that was a question to go back to. And that's just shooting out of anxiety. I think like I, I spoke to yeah. um, my friend Jerome a lot about that. Yeah. It's a good, good analogy. Yeah. You're just so stressed about making sure that <laughs> you get it, that you just yeah. firing at everything you're not taking the time to look <laughs> at what's happening gunner in the army right yeah which i understand because there's pressure on wedding mm. photographers to mm. deliver certain amount of images and cover the day in photos but like what i personally want to do is i just want to shoot i just want to get you know like 50 amazing photos that will go in the album Mm. Because I feel like they're the ones that will really get hung on to for a long period of time. Mm. There's something I've said a few times on the podcast is just like, you know, to think about not just what we're shooting for, it's like when we're shooting for, like when mm. are these photos actually yeah. for and who are they for? They're not just for the couple to put on Instagram tomorrow. Yeah. That's important now and people want that. And I'm not saying people shouldn't do that, but you don't spend $5,000 on a photographer to put up 10 sneak peeks the next day. 100%. I mean, you could do that on your phone, right? Yeah. Um, you could do that with your, your TikTok person that you've hired. <laughs> That's what they're there for now. But, you know, you, you're hiring someone so that they can make something that's going to last. I think back to like some of the most memorable moments in my photography career. And it was one was like when I did a workshop with Craig Tuffin, who I did a one-on-one tintype to genotype workshop. Dude, I was there for like eight hours and I created one photograph, one photo over the course of eight hours. Obviously, it was a lot of understanding chemistry, all of this historic photography means. And like on one of my podcast episodes, when I interviewed Craig, I was explaining it. I was in tears. Like when I actually created that one photo, I held it right there in my hands it just like totally transformed my way of thinking you know and it sucks it sticks with me like it was one of the most memorable moments to spend eight hours to create one photo that was crazy man when photographers shooting eight hour weddings for ten thousand photos there's an abundance of choices there like you said i think thinking about what the where the photo is going to live for the future is is a way to go into something with a great analogy but yeah man like the degenerative tin type that just like was next level like yeah. yeah, it was so. I was like, man, how can I do this at weddings? Can I do this at weddings? <laughs> then I bought like a little like tent 
dark room and I was like, yeah, it'd be kind of weird if I set up a little swag at a wedding and had my own little dark room. <laughs> it would be amazing. It, it's funny. Would be cool. you, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard couples say this, but some people are just like, oh, we really just want one good photo. Yes. You ever heard that? Not 99% of the time. But whoever actually follows through with anything close <laughs> to that? How many of those couples later come back to you and say, have we got any more? Or have you got any more of me putting my dress on? It's all well and good to, you know, say those things, but I don't know how much people follow through. But yeah, like, I mean, imagine having a, if your portrait session went for an hour and all you got out of it was one tin type photo. (laughs) Yeah. And you, and you, you, yeah, man. That's an incredible thing to have. Honestly, who needs more than one portrait of their wedding day? If you have like that amazing portrait that's been made in such a unique way mm. and there will only be one of them made because it's actually on a piece of metal like it's mm. that that's that's the photo the whole mm. thing is just that one product and you have that on your wall but i think it comes down to like a lot of it is like we as the photographers value that and a lot of the time we're not photographing the photographer a lot of what that condition to in society is a constant scroll and it's like a fucking endless feed. Eh? I mean, if I had my family photographed by Sally Mann, I'm not going to say to her in that package you sent family photo shoot, why do I only get 150? Like the other girl down the road gets 300. But I think it comes down to me respecting her as an artist and like going like for myself, I'm good with a single photo. Eh? Like because the first, I don't even care. I don't even need a JPEG. Just give me like a two meter printed on the glass frame. Like I'm good with that. But I think like, yeah, it comes down to also like, yeah, condition in the market and also maybe we are the ones that are really passionate about it. And we're also like just a bit desensitized to the whole thing. We go to weddings every weekend. We see 100%. all the same things over and over and we just get a little bit sick of it and want to do something different and, and see something different. And whereas other people are like, well, this is my wedding and I want, yeah, my, yeah. I want my 800 wedding photos like all my friends have got theirs and I want to see mm. all those parts of my day, which is also fair enough. Yeah, it's a hard one, eh? Because you're a service provider. Like one thing I always do is I always just, I don't question them. I just question it. So like I will go like, hey, did you want a photo of your dress hanging in the window? Like not default dress in the window. Yeah. But I'll say that. And so like 50% of couples are like, ah, nah, fuck it. Like, nah, I'm good. Like I don't need that. Yeah. But rather than like, oh, I don't do that. Like I don't want to do that. Yeah. I'm providing a service for their day. It's not my ego stepping in in between them. Yeah, totally. I'm happy to do that for them to make them happy. Yeah. I find it so funny looking at wedding photographers. I worked in advertising for 10 years and I've worked in commercial video for nearly 10 years now. And, you know, if the client wants something, you do it. You can go back to them and say, well, here's my advice on that. And here's why I don't Mm. think you should do it and provide your expertise because, you know, that's what you do. But it's like at the end of the day, if the client says they want it to be yellow, then you fucking make it yellow. Mm. you know Mm. if the client says they want a shot of this you do it and maybe you don't like the result but you're getting paid and they're the one paying you i mean we don't go to a Mm. restaurant i don't know it's like you don't you don't do that in other ways i find that a bit weird i think a lot of wedding photographers just gotten used to having that freedom of not having to do anything they don't want expecting a lot of praise for what they've done and like at the end of the day you are a service provider and you're getting paid really well you go and Mm. do commercial shooting you'll get paid a lot less Mm. And you'll hate the process a a million times more. Mm. You'll be making, you know, I've done videos where I've been up to version 15 (laughs) of an edit. 
And they're like, oh, actually, now we want to do this with it. That's how it goes. And people are like, oh, they want, you know, they want me to make a picture color when I gave it to them in black and white. It's like, they paid you $5,000. <laughs> Give them the fucking color version. Like, what yeah, are you talking click about? Click a button, right? You've got to make sure you're delivering a good quality product. I don't think we, you know, you can just give yeah, for sure. everyone everything they want. But I also think these little things are so easy to do. It's not like, here's my work, take it or leave it. I don't, I don't right. think that's the right approach. I think you need yep. to, yeah, f- find a balance with all that stuff. So you, um, you're going back into it? I, I love it, bro. Like, I just don't know where it fits, though. Yeah. Pers- personally. And you got to like the result at the end of the day, too. Like, it's become so popular now. I feel like there's almost pressure on people to be like, 100%. Oh, you're a, ph- you're a photography. Oh, you do your personal stuff. You shoot some film. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Or if you're not doing it for personal work or artistic kind of work, it's like, it's, there's less merit or something. One time in Bali, when I was over visiting a mate, I was shooting some stuff for his brand, just his surf label. Remember him saying to a friend of his, he was like, yeah, yeah, my mate Ryan's sh- going to shoot for me. He shoots on film. And I'm like, I said to him, why did you say that? And then he's like, oh, because you're like, you shoot on film, man. And I'm like, does that make me better than someone that doesn't? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> he's not a photographer. And, and I was like, why? And then he's like, dude, you shoot on film, man. Like, look at the camera you got. And I'm like, I ain't better than anyone. And then I was like, man, you can see such a stigma attached to it, especially with Instagram and like, you know, like film and standing out from the crowd. And that that kind of put me off a little bit. I was like, dude, I'm not doing it for any means. Like, it doesn't matter whether the camera looks like a Rollerflex or a 5D Mark II. And I think about that too. I'm pushing that side of it with the business because I feel like that's, you know, it's a good point of difference. You know, I want to attract the people who want film images because that's what mm. I'm doing. And I'm not doing it because I'm like, oh, I want to be cool film guy and look at all my... Co-. I'm like, I do it because... You enjoy pictures, it. I enjoy it. I love doing it and it gets me pictures that I'm happy with. And there are right. plenty of times when I'm just spending hours and hours doing work that could I could be doing in minutes. And I'm mm. like, what the fuck am I doing this for? Like, this is mm. insane. I'm spending so much time and money to create pictures. And I can do the same thing with my phone. But then I get the pictures back and I'm like... I don't know how I would ever do this on digital. And I'm like, so that's why I do it. You know, there's there some pictures you posted. Um, it was your son and he's in a bath and he's sort of got his, his yeah, head yeah. back on. I'm like, yeah. man, those were stunning. They were just so beautiful. I think you shot them on the R5 maybe. That's right. Yeah. yeah I was just, it doesn't matter how it was taken. I'm like, those were beautiful photos. He looked so good in them. The way he'd captured the light and the way he'd set the frame up was amazing it's funny you say that because I, I feel like yeah the 100 that stigma if i wrote underneath you know like a m6 35 summer chrome trix 400 it's like did i did i write that for people to go oh shit like yeah it's like instant me- instant credibility credibility that's what i want to say yeah and i think part of that is most photographers don't shoot film and probably have never that's shot right. film you you're unique right I- and it may, and they're also just like I would have no clue how to do that. 100%. So it seems a lot harder. But then the thing you got to remember is, up until two thousand three or two thousand, like whenever yeah. it was, there was no such thing as a digital camera. Digital, that's but, right. But photography was around for one hundred and sixty mm. years before that. Every single picture ever being made was on film. Mm. So it it can't be that hard. Like photojournalists were doing it, artists were doing it. Families were doing it. Everything was taken on film. And it's like, then you give it 10 years and professional photographers are all of a sudden like, how is this even possible? It's like, we did it for so long. It's not that, like, obviously it's a different process and, and tricky to learn. and But not hard to take an image. It's still photography. You still got to have good light. You still got to just find a picture that's actually worth taking that that means something or shows something or shows someone the way that, you know, like it's... 100% something's coming up to my mind. It's like, what's the difference between like an, say at the bottom of a caption and I wrote R5 plus 
32 gigabyte SD card or, <laughs> you know, you know, like Canon 1V plus Portra 400. It's like the Portra 400 is your SD card. That's what you're storing images on. Yeah. Dude, I love film. Like, I appreciate all this. It's it's so amazing to hear your understanding. Like, you have an incredible amount of knowledge. I'm, I'm dude, so, so stoked you've finally done this podcast, man. And, and honored to be on it as well, bro. Thanks for making the time, man. I know you're, you're a busy man. And uh, I've always really appreciated your approach to work-life balance. Mm. Um, I see it when you, you know, might take you a day to respond to a, a message about work stuff. And it's because you're off looking after your family and, and spending time with them and spending time with your boy. And, uh, you know, I think you've got it pretty well figured out. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to have a chat pleasure my man thanks very much Ryan